All right, well, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode four of the World Collide podcast with Brian Stan, Eves Edwards, and uh, we have decided on a name officially, uh, just considering the diverse background and interests of Eves and I and all the things we like to talk about from MMA to international, national policy, uh, racial issues, religion, all the sensitive subjects that most people, even on national news organizations, tend to run away from, Eves and I have decided that we're going to talk about in a public forum and open ourselves wide open to criticism and questions. And so we always encourage your engagement. So any questions, send them to us at Twitter, at ThugJitsuMaster and at Brian Stan, and we'll be happy to answer them here on air. So welcome to the show. Eves, how you holding up, brother? Oh, man, it's been good. This week has been slow. You know, um, got, I'm still excited over, over the news I got last week. But, um, yeah, otherwise, everything's pretty good. Um, um, it's good to hear from you, man. It feels like we haven't you done You got to tell every that news. <laughs> what was that news? <laughs> so um, Brian was one of the first people I called after I got the call. But the producer for Fox, uh, Fox Sports, Zach... Candido got in touch with me. He, and... Well, he's the producer for Zufa. He's he's actually a part of the UFC. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. So Zach is, is the producer for Zufa, and um, he runs the 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 event shows for the weekend, the pre and post fight and the weigh in shows. And my audition was approved. He he liked it, and he offered me a deal. And I am joining the the broadcast team for Fox Sports for UFC. It's so huge ex- news. Huge news. I'm excited about and it. And like man. we said in episode one, man, you you destroyed your audition. And I'll tell you, man, Zach. So Zach is the supervise, I believe, supervising producer is is what his title is. Um, but he's, you know, he he has moved quickly through the ranks, and he's a guy who used to be at ESPN, came over uh, to Zufa, and now obviously coordinates everything that Zufa does with Fox. But he has a great eye, and he's got a very critical eye. I mean, he always sends me great notes, all the guys. And uh, he's been honest. There's been a lot of guys who have auditioned who I thought, oh, they did okay, and, and not a chance. You know, he didn't, he didn't think they were very good, and he was obviously very complimentary of what you were able to do, man. So congrats on that. That's awesome. Thank you, man. I'm really excited about it. I, I've, I've, I've said before I've watched my audition tape a few times, and, and I still go over it. It's weird. It's I've got that tape mentality from fighting, so I, I can still watch it and I, I can pick out the things that I'm doing wrong, especially when I compare it to the other guys that, that have more experience doing it. So I'm working on it. I'm literally training just like I would for a fight, um, practicing at home and working some of that stuff out. So I think it, it'll get better as we go. Bro, that's funny, man, because I, I have a hard time watching my stuff back, to be honest with you. Um, you know, when, when I'm on air, if it's recorded and my wife records it, I don't like, you know, it, it like most people would say they don't like listening to their own voice. Yeah. They don't, they, they, they make fun of their own voice, things like that. Um, I just, I'll get my notes from the people who critique me and, uh, I, I don't like looking it back because I'll be so critical and I'll, I'll write down, oh man, how could I say that? That's stupid here. That's stupid there. And so good on you that you're able to do that. Um, you know, it'll get tougher as you go along. It'll be sometimes you're just you don't even want to look at it because, you know, you'll drive yourself mad with how many things you'll you'll want to, you know, you wish you would have corrected at the time. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I even in this short amount of time, and it's just the audition tape. Uh, I think I definitely think I won't be watching too many more after this. It's hard to watch it with someone when when I'm with someone and, and like my wife and my kids want to see it, wanted to see it. My daughter wanted to see it over the weekend. She came for her birthday and uh, I watched it, but I couldn't I wanted to go in another room. But everybody was like, why do you keep leaving? Um, because I can't I, I can't watch myself in front of you guys because then I get more self-conscious. But um, oh, no, it was fun. Worse. Yeah, it's so much Good. worse in that case. But man, you are—you were calling the fights this weekend, also. So you—you're you're doing basically back-to-back shows on U.S. soil. So what's going on with 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 you and 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 heading out to to New Jersey for this? Yeah, man, heading out tonight. We've got Machida versus Rockwell, which is going to be a big one. Now, obviously, Yo Romero dropping off the card stings, man. I was really excited to watch him fight Jacare. Yeah, and. You know, again, man, it's another guy getting hurt this close to the fight, and and I've said it so many times, but man, we train far too hard in this sport, and it costs us money. And and look, I am guilty of it in my career, but we should be turning a corner. Guys are starting to realize it, and and for him to have that serious an injury this close to his fight, it really just calls into question what was going on down there, what they were doing with this guy, because at his age, especially. He's got to make money now. You know, I don't know what Yo Romero is going to do at 41, 42 years old. He's basically a career athlete from wrestling to now fighting. I don't know what the, uh, the, the, the next plan is for that man uh, to make money. Here's his opportunity now, and that looks like an injury where he's going to be out probably for at least six, seven months. Yeah, it's one of those things where these injuries that happen – Especially in the gym, I I used to train a lot at a wild card boxing, and um, sometimes when I go to to California to get ready for fights, and one thing that I noticed right off the bat is that when there are two boxers in the ring, there are only two boxers in the ring. But we don't we don't have that luxury. We've got you know um, you've got a big mat space and you've got your section, but it's a lot harder to stop two guys with momentum going in one direction into another group of guys than it is guys simply throwing punches and tying up each other and, and not running over each other. But yet those guys have got it down to where they're only there. There's only two of them in a situation situation where uh, they're in a, in a ring or, or if they were in a cage, it would be in a cage, you know, um, nobody's falling on anybody else. Same thing that happened to Dom. Um, somebody fell on him, twisted his knee. Um, is this what happened to Romero? He somebody fell into him. I don't know. I wasn't there. Uh, I I I, I want to ask. I've been meant to ask Johnny Hartnett about it yesterday. We talked for a bit, but but um, I I started to talk about it, and he he started just talking about you know how disappointed Yoel was, and um, we we didn't even get into the details of how he got hurt. I can't believe that I I, I spaced on that, but um, it's one of those things, man. I I I can only assume, and if unless he was in, we have. Two cages, and actually, I haven't been at the gym since they changed things for the Ultimate Fighter. They changed the gym around, so I don't know if they've reverted it back to what it was beforehand, or they decided to keep it that way before we move. So, um, yeah, I'm in. I'm up in the. I'm up in the air about that. I don't know, but I, I can only assume that that was one of the things. That that's definitely a possibility, especially in the world of MMA. Yeah, and a lot of guys. I mean, they don't. Uh, yeah, he tore his meniscus, and a lot of times, you know, because of the heat you receive. You know, from matchmakers, they don't guys are really secretive now on how they get hurt, because if Joe Silva finds out that someone rolled into his leg, if that was what happened, 
I mean, he's going to go nuts. Why would you have a guy on a crowded mat two to three weeks before his fight when he's in a high-profile fight? You, you just we can't do that anymore. And I was I was talking to somebody about this yesterday, doing some interviews for this Fox card, and it's one of those things where I remember doing my camps. And you end up having your training camp and you think it's great because you've got all these other top 10 fighters in the room with you that you're sparring with every day for your training. The problem is none of those guys are the guy you're fighting. Yeah. And those guys all have their own fights coming up in their own agendas. So they're not going to go in there when they spar with you, mimic the guy you're fighting. So you're basically just fighting them. Yes. And you're fighting. Let's not, let's not lie about this. We don't spar. We fight <laughs> with full pads on, but it is a fight. And so... You maybe spend half your sparring rounds focused on what you need to do, but then you're also helping this other guy who's got his fight coming up, and they're all high-level guys beating the crap out of each other. And, and it does not do us any good when you look at your career on a long timeline and you think, I have to fight as many times as possible to make as much money as possible in this long window, and I can elongate this window by staying healthy, putting less miles on myself. Somebody asked me, you know, were there any extra miles put on Machida from the Chris Weidman fight? I said, absolutely. Yeah. But you also have to remember, think about all the miles we put on ourselves in the gym. When we do six, seven rounds, eight, nine rounds on some days with all top-tier guys, yeah, there's a little extra padding. But trust me, when you get hit with a 16-ounce glove or you get kicked with shin guards on, it still does damage. You, that was definitely one of the topics I was talking about with my buddy John Hartnett yesterday. Um, and there's there's... You know, there's there's a lot of head contact and a lot of and you you would assume because of that, especially what we know about brain injuries nowadays. Um, there even even say you're in on a low single or you're in on on a single on your feet, and uh, that that's a position where your head is exposed and you're getting hit, and they may not be the shots that'll take you out of a fight, but you're getting concussive blows to the head. Uh, consecutively, and that happens in the gym also. They're not big punches. Your pa training partners aren't trying to hurt you, but they're trying to make you respect the fact that they can hit you from that position, and if you're not succeeding with this takedown, you're going to transition to something else, but they have to. They, they're not just tapping you on the head. They have to hit you to make you respond or respect that, and um, I never thought about it before until we were having this talk, but that that is a big deal, and and and, and and I mean, you know, with what we know about brain injury now nowadays, it's 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 kind of scary. It's it's also one of those things I would not I would not change anything. I wouldn't not fight. I would not do it because of that. But that is an issue, and then that that's something that needs to be addressed. And and people need to be smarter about it. I think Robbie did it best when yeah. he took so much time off from sparring. Oh, certainly, and he still does it. Really controlled guys tell me he picks one guy out, goes to his corner of the gym, and. You know, Robbie's at a stage in his career where he needs to make it all about himself. Yeah. Fighters have to be a little selfish when they get to that level. You know, when you're a, a Luke Rockhold, a Leota Machida, a, a Jacare Souza, those guys have to be a bit selfish. Their camps have to be about them, them arriving healthy, them being perfectly trained, perfectly drilled to execute their game plan. You know, and, and, and speaking of that, I had the opportunity to interview Luke Rockhold uh, three days ago, it, it, you know, in preparation for this fight. And it really stuck out to me how well he knew Machida. I mean, he had all of his homework done. He knows what Machida likes to do when his back is against the fence. He knows what he likes to do when he's on the ground, knows what he likes to do when he stands here and stands there. And I thought it was interesting. And the whole time Rockwell was talking to me about it, his confidence is sky high. 
And that's always a sign of a guy who's really, you know, we always talk about peaking physically, yes. but it's more important to me to be peaked mentally. And Rockhold's there, man. I said, well, you know, I would suspect Machida has the advantage in takedowns. He's got some really tricky trips, some good throws, and good body lock takedowns. How do you feel you're going to fare against this guy if the fight hits the floor? And Luke said, if he goes down there with me, he's in a lot of trouble. People don't want to be on the ground. I mean, Luke was that confident in his ground game. He said, I will quickly get back up or sweep him, and he'll be in a world of trouble. I know he's good on the ground, but he's not on my level. And it was surprising to see how quickly Luke came back with that and how strongly he, he truly believed. And when a fighter really believes in himself, they can, they can go from being a mediocre fighter to a very good fighter. You know, yeah. Rockhold's already a great fighter. He can go to an exceptional if, if he really believes that much. So it was an intriguing conversation. Yeah, it's you. You see some of that from these guys coming over from Strike Force. Um, it sometimes it takes time. Some guys are still improving. Uh, the thing about it is, when you're in the UFC, back when Strike Force was around, there was there was that argument over who was better, who was you know where where were the best guys, and yeah, the consensus thought was that it was in the UFC. And we see some of the guys come over and prove that yeah, at some weight classes, the UFC guys were better but i mean we're all ufc or they're all ufc guys now but um it's some some of the guys like robbie came from strike force he became the champion you know um gilbert is still one of the best in the world even though he's not the champion but it's one of those things i think i think now especially with with the higher level of competition a slightly higher level of competition the more active in competition i think some of those guys have grown and it sounds like luke is one of them you know he was already an elite guy he came over didn't have the best debut in the ufc but now he i think he maybe he's turned that corner and and, and having being more active knowing when things are going to happen not necessarily having to wait around for for the next strike force card between you know the strike force uh, management and 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 showtime i think that's helped some of those guys grow, and it sounds like Luke is one of them. And Luke was a scary guy before this, so if that's the case, if what you're saying is true, and 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 it shows itself to be the way that way, man, I think I think that is a big deal because Machida used to be a puzzle, but I think guys have figured that out, and he hasn't changed that puzzle very much since then. So he's still going to be dangerous for a lot of guys. He's still going to be be able to knock and, and, and knock out and beat a lot of guys. But um, the highest level of guy at 185 pounds, that's dynamic, like a Luke Rockhold, even Vitor Belfort, Chris Weidman, those guys are going to be hard for a guy that doesn't change his style like Machida when, when he's predictably the same way. Yeah. Well, and, and I'll tell you, I think one of the keys in, in this fight, as I watched back deep into Machida's career, there's something that really stands out, and it, it stands out even more in his last three fights than it ever did even in, early, in his early fights. But he really thrives on fighting right-handed fighters because he uses his left body kick to maintain his range because he likes to fight guys long. So every time they try and close distance, he slams them with it. Yes. If they try and punch him, it's one of his counters. If you use a long jab against him, he'll bury you to the body with it, and then he'll mix it up. And we saw him. He finished C.B. Dalloway with it. His placement and his accuracy were incredible. Came right underneath C.B. Dalloway's right elbow and, I mean, crushed his rib cage and finished him with it. Against Munoz, he was slamming him with this kick to the body over and over and over again, hitting him in the gut, hitting him in the gut, breaking down his arm. Then all of a sudden, he decides he's going to send that kick and go upstairs with it. 
Well, the delivery of a body kick versus a head kick looks very similar. So yes. Munoz goes to block it, one arm to the head. His left arm came down to try and block it to the body because he didn't know where it was going. And as you know, when you get a guy who kicks as hard as Machida and you just have your hand there, his shin is going to move that hand right over. It's not blocking anything. And the foot connected right to the head and knocked Munoz out. Um, additionally, uh, what are the, oh, when he fought Ryan Bader, he crushed him with that kick. Body, body, body. Every time Bader tried to close the distance, he hit him with this body kick. Then Bader finally gets frustrated that he's not closing the distance with Machida, and he rushes in sloppy with his hands down, just trying to, to, to bull rush Machida, and he eats a straight right hand and yep. goes right down. But the difference now is that kick is not available for him in this fight because Luke Rockhold is also a southpaw. So with his main weapon to set up the rest of his offense being gone, I want to see what is Machida going to do now. How is he going to respond to the pressure of Luke Rockhold and keep his distance without that body kick? Because he doesn't have a great jab. He's got an okay front kick, but front kicks, again, they work better when you fight opposite stance fighters. When you go righty on righty, that front kick does not land as well. It slips yes. right off the oblique and slides off, guys. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know how that's going to play out for him. I think... I think, like I said, you know, the puzzle hasn't changed much, and Rockhold's confidence, the fact that he's also a southpaw, um, all those, all those factors, I think, add up against Machida and makes it a tough night for him. I don't know who the favorite is. I never look at the betting odds. I only see them during the weigh-ins and and then sometimes during the fights. But um, I think Luke should be the favorite going in. Um, and if he's not, that's a good way for some people to make some quick money. <laughs> um, but. I mean, it's a possibility. We still can't count Machida out because the guy was is a former champion at at two oh five, and um, he still looks good. But he he's he's a puzzle, and it and it's not necessarily predictable. But it's almost that way. And if Luke has figured it out, it's going to be a rough night for Lyoto. Yeah, yeah, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see what Machida does. I was leaning towards Machida originally because he does a great job of capitalizing on aggressive fighters. If you're over aggressive against him, um, he's not going to play that game. He, he could use that against you. Use your own momentum against you very well. However, you know, studying rock cold, watching him. I mean, he's become a smarter fighter specifically talk to me about, look, this is a five round fight. I've got no rush. And then I asked him, I said, well, what if the crowd boos? Does that influence you? Does that frustrate you? And he said, absolutely not. He goes, I'm beyond that. He goes, there's too much on the line. He goes, I got to go out there and do what I want to do. If for some reason it's not real exciting or pretty in the first round or the second round, that's all right. I know I'm going to go get my finish in the later rounds when the opportunity presents itself perfectly. I'm going to execute my game plan. So that doesn't mean it means he's not going to be over aggressive. He's not going to be emotional out there. He's going to work his game. So now I am leaning towards thinking that Luke Rockhold is going to win that fight. But you brought up odds. So I'm going to put your odds maker hat on. I know this isn't something you practice, but <laughs> I want you to give me the odds on a Chris Camozzi victory over Jacare Souza on a week's notice. Whew. Initially, when you hear those names, I think it's, it's very, very slim. But the thing about it or, or what I think about it is, you know what? Jacare was training for a completely different guy in Yoel Romero. Yoel's powerful, but but his wrestling game is 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 pretty dominant. He's extremely. I mean, we all know what his credentials are. This guy's beaten Kale Sanderson, you know, twice. Um, but 
the thing the thing about Kamozi coming in and taking this fight on short notice and and being a completely different guy is you de- he definitely has a shot at that point he it can it can be the fact that Jacare is thrown off um but at the same time i i i think that's me reaching you know you're what i mean trying to be nice yeah you're trying to be nice you don't you don't want to come out and say you know you know they fought before right no i didn't yeah Jacare beat him in the first round he submitted him in the first round rather quickly I think it was a submission, either that or he knocked him out, but he finished him. Yeah. See, it's 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 one of those issues where where um, the skill set of those guys are are really different at this point. Um, Kamozi is still he's still pretty much coming up. He's still getting better every time, but Jacare is also getting better every time, and he's been better technically for a really long time. It's one of those things where you know. Um, it's a it's a big opportunity for Kamozi. It's a no lose situation for him. So, taking the fight on short notice, it's it's a good thing. You know, he can go, and and that's the other part about it. This is MMA. This is little gloves. You know, you're basically throwing padded bricks at somebody's head. So he can he can he can possibly land a good shot and get the knockout. But um, Jacare's got to be a huge favorite going in. Yeah, I mean, I, I would. It's got to be almost ten to one probably. But uh, yeah, he. So I didn't even watch that deep in my analysis for this fight. I watched, you know, Jacare's uh, Musasi, Carmon, and the Okami fight. Um, but for Kamozi, he beat him by arm triangle in the first round. And, and you know, look, and I'm not saying anything against Chris because I've met Chris before and I admire it. I, I am all for him taking this fight because here's honestly what people don't realize. Here's what's going through Chris Kamozi's head. One, this is a, a no-lose situation for me. He's been out of the UFC doing well, trying to get back to the UFC so he can make more money because, simply put, you get paid more in the UFC than you do with these little regional promotions that you fight in to get back. Yes. And we all know if you do Joe Silva a favor where he's hurting, he's got a week, he just lost a massive fight on a Fox card, and you at least get – because nobody's taking Jacare on a week's notice. Nobody. I don't care who it is. Maybe Chris Weidman's the only guy who would take that fight on a week's notice. Um, You know – but Kamozi jumps in, gives you a fight, and he knows darn well what's going to happen. He could get obliterated in 10 seconds. Joe Silva is going to give him another fight, and he's going to give him a fight that is a much more reasonable matchup for Kamozi to showcase his skills and possibly earn a third fight and a new contract in the UFC. And that's a smart decision by Kamozi, um, who, who, look, there's a few things he can capitalize on here. Do I think he's going to win this fight? Absolutely not. Um, but where, what are his options? Here's what can happen in mixed martial arts. There's a lot of pressure on Jacare in this fight because he had a fight where if he developed more hype in his win over Yo Romero yes. than Machida or Rockhold did in their victory, he may jump leapfrog those guys and get the next shot at the title. Now, yes. beating Kamozi, he's, he's not leapfrogging anybody. Most likely, winner of Rockhold, Machida will get the next shot unless Weidman gets hurt or unless it's boring, Jacare now has to blow away Kamozi in the first round. He's got to make it so dominant and then hope that Rockhold Machida is boring. And so sometimes when guys have to do that, when they have to just dominate a guy and put him away quickly, sometimes they try too hard. Yes. And when you try too hard in this sport, you leave yourself open. And I don't care who it is. Anybody can get knocked out or caught with a punch or a kick. You never know if Jacare sparred too hard a week ago. Who knows? You know, Matt Sarah beat GSP. Um, ben Henderson came back 
in 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 won his fight versus Brandon Thatch. I mean, which wasn't nearly as big a long shot, but I mean, there are things that happen in the sport that you never know, and I think that's what Kamozi has to focus on this fight. He needs to go out there fight Jacare long, smooth, and and pick his shots. Be a sniper because if you try to hit Jacare too hard, he's going to hit you with a double. And I'm sorry, I don't think Kamozi can. I don't think he survives down there. I don't think many middleweights survive on the floor with Jacare Suzy. He is just extraordinarily dangerous when that fight hits the mat could be the best in my opinion he's the best submission artist in mixed martial arts history yes i i agree and, and i agree with you about kamozi i think kamozi um just makes just makes jacare look as bad as he possibly can um winning the fight is definitely is is a long shot i think uh it's it's a big it's a big wall to climb but it, the longer he takes, the longer he takes Jacare, the deeper he, it goes. The more he can show his any skill set, whether it be you know fighting long, keeping Jacare on the outside, takedown defense. Um, if he can make Jacare look bad just a little bit, it raises his stock a lot more. You know, absolutely. So I, I agree completely. What now, about- folks, we're making a case. We're making a case here. D- don't go bet on Kamozi in this fight. Okay, I'm just <laughs> just gonna tell you, don't. Don't go do that. I mean, we're making a case for how he can win. But on this much notice, and he already got blown out by him the first time. And look, I mean, no disrespect to Chris. He's a phenomenal guy. He's a good, solid fighter. Chakare is just a beast. He's going to blow away most of the middleweight division. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when you're in the UFC, you're, you're, you're the elite. But but then when you get to the guys in the top 10, you get to a Jacare Souza that is the elite of the elite, you know. And, and that's just a different, that's a different level. The other guy, everyone can lose, but... It's one of those things where the odds are definitely stacked in his favor. Um, I'm I'm looking I'm looking at the card and I, there's the fight that I'm excited about is Max Holloway and Cub Swanson because uh, Max Holloway he's a guy he came into the UFC his first fight was against Dustin Poirier and he he actually he looked he looked really good then on his feet um, Dustin had to take the fight to the mat took him down and submitted him. And his 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 ground game didn't look that strong. His ground game didn't look that strong against uh, Conor McGregor either. But it's constantly gotten better. He's he's pulled off some submissions against guys like Andre Feely and some other guys since then. And he's he's just looking. He's been looking better, like a more complete mixed martial artist. Cub, as we know, Cub is crazy, man. He'll 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 pull pull things out of the hat and and throw weird kicks at you, cartwheel kicks. Uh, he takes a lot of risk, but he's also shut down his wrist taking he, he's a little more um decisive about the risk that he's going to take and, and not so so nonchalant about it um but is it i'm 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 looking at this fight is it is it is it a changing of the guard you know are these these young guys like max holloway are these guys going to start coming in and pushing pushing the guys like cub down the ladder pushing them behind them get getting these big getting these big fights and and making the most of it you know it's yeah. i'm excited about this fight man yeah, it's funny bringing up we we thought that was going to be the case with Ryan LaFlair and Damian Maya yeah. and and Maya came out with a dominant wrestling performance um Looked physically stronger than we've seen him. Looked like he focused on that area to bulk up a little bit and be a bigger 170-pound fighter. His technique has always been unquestioned on the floor. But in this fight, you know, I don't know if Max Holloway brings enough firepower to to beat Cub Swanson. You know, I think uh, he brings the footwork and the technique necessary, and he's got to dance around Cub to win this fight. 
Yeah. Uh, he does his best work when he can use angles and back his opponents up against the cage. And then when he does that, he'll unleash really nice flurries and combinations. But with Cub, Cub likes to be in the pocket. He, he fights with his eyes wide open in the pocket. It's so cool to watch when you break down his tape. Most yep. guys flinch in the pocket. Cub's eyes are wide open, and when, you, when he slips punches, that's where he lands some of his most devastating blows. When he takes his head off center line and throws a right hand or a left hand or his cartwheel kick, um, that's where he's at his best. And so you wonder how it's going to play out on the feet. I would suspect Cub has more firepower there, but I think the path of least resistance for Cub Swanson is to take Max down. Yeah. Not that Max has a garbage jiu-jitsu game. He does not. He's really worked on that game. Cub is a bit bigger of a 145-pounder, and I think he could take a page out of Frankie Edgar's book and what Frankie did to him and, and go in there with Max, take him down, and try and control him and finish him from the ground. Because honestly, guys, again, going back to career longevity, if you're a Cub, you don't need to get into a firefight with Max Holloway. You don't need to go and get into a three-round striking match where you take a whole bunch of damage you know, eat 50 headshots in that fight because it's going to take time off your career. This is a fight that you need to win and go right back into contendership to get back on your title chase, not something you need to go get into a brawl and, and get in a war just because you're on Fox. But knowing Cubs mentality, that's probably the route he's going to go. <laughs> it's, 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 it's weird to hear that because I feel like Cubs, and you know him a little better than I, better than I do, but I feel like Cub has grown up so much, man. Watching his, watching the past couple of fights of his. Of course, I didn't watch his fight with, um, with Frankie. That was the night of my last fight, and I was, I was pretty disappointed in myself and my performance. So, I, um, I didn't watch it. I would, I still haven't watched that whole event. It's one of those things. But, um, I, I just feel like Cub is a little more mature than that now as a fighter, and he's going to. I, I would assume that he would fight where the fight is best for him. And and I agree. I think getting Max, Max to the mat and, and just trying to grind on him and get to a, a submission and finish the fight, I think is the best for him because I think on the feet, I, I, I agree that Cub, Cub looks good, especially in the pocket. He likes to get in the pocket. But I think Max is also a good enough kickboxer to keep him on the outside, to keep the fight where it's better yeah. for him. And as a long, I mean, Max, he's he's like my height at forty five. He's taller than me, I think, at one forty five. And um, he's he's a long kid, man. And his stand up is very crisp. He's slick, man. He's slick, so man. nice, you know. So it's one of those things. I think def, I think Cub needs to take the fight to the ground, take the fight to the mat. But if he doesn't, um, he's got to get inside because I think outside Max is just going to pick him apart. Yeah, yeah. So just all, all around a. Uh... A pretty awesome card coming up this weekend. Love that they're starting to stack these Fox cards again and giving some free cards out to the fans, you know, yeah. um, rather than having to pay 60 bucks for a pay-per-view. But, uh, you know, transitioning a little bit, in, in Episode 3, we talked about this new deal uh, between Iran and, and, and six different world powers uh, and, and how basically we, we agreed to a, a form of the plan that still has to be approved by June 30th um, to basically reduce and take away sanctions on Iran in, in uh, return for them to greatly limit their nuclear program and create more transparencies for us to inspect all of their installations. And it's funny because, you know, we were pretty bipartisan in the last episode. We didn't have all the, you know, all the information wasn't really out there yet. And, and um, 
you know, I, I, I did mention though, that, that Iran has been a country that refuses to, uh, to acknowledge the, the existence of Israel and, and they have financially backed many terror groups in the Middle East and continue to do so. But no sooner has this announcement been made, but uh, Russian basically lifted their own self-imposed ban on arms deals and sold an S-300 uh, surface-to-air missile system. It's a defensive missile system to Iran already, which sparked a ton of controversy. And I mean, when you look at what is coming out of Iran now, it is going to be very, very difficult to get this deal done now because their supreme leader has consistently preached hate against America anyways. And he continues to say that this deal will only be done if all sanctions are lifted immediately, where President Obama in the U.S. is saying, not a chance, we won't lift sanctions until we see you actually complying with the deal. So it makes it really interesting, but the simple fact that the mere mention of this deal and there's already some weapons trading going on between Russia and Iran um, is massive implications, specifically in a hot area like the Middle East. Yeah, the, the, the fact that I, I, I feel like the fact that it's a, a surface-to-air to missile, which to me sounds like it's only, and I, I'm, I'm not military-minded at all, except video game-wise, but it sounds like that is only defensive. That could only be defensive, but... Um, with 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 Russia doing that, it's it's kind of like just poking the bear, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you know that the U.S. wants, um, you know, well, the world basically wants sanctions on Iran because of their their feelings towards Israel and and their their lack of, I guess, lack of respect for for the country of Israel. But the fact that this is is a defensive missile, it's like okay, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna offer them this. And see what the reaction from the rest of the world is, but um, I don't know. It's 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 it sounds kind of scary because now it's like, well, if Russia's poking the bear and they're using Iran as the stick, then what's what's going to happen if if these sanctions aren't lifted and and Iran doesn't get their way, or or the U.S. And Iran refuses to allow these sanctions and the U.S. doesn't get their way. It's it's causing more tension that needs to be than than what needs to be caused, I think. Yeah, and it's been growing for a while. And there's a few things, a few points to make off that. I mean, number one, I, I, uh, Russia is no longer just poking the bear. I mean, they they straight up slapped the bear in the face with what they did in Ukraine, anyways. And there's a lot of people out there that that don't believe in America being involved in things internationally, and they don't understand the way the world works. And it is not a utopia. It's not, it's not a fair place. And human beings are flawed. We are very heavily influenced by money and power. And if you do even a tiny bit of research into who Vladimir Putin is and some of the things he's done, why he's considered the, the wealthiest man in the world because of, of, of some of the things he can do where literally he'll empty funds, bank accounts in that country. And, I mean, there's all kinds of corruption there. But what he did in Ukraine was incredible, where they wouldn't admit they had troops there. I mean, they had thousands of Russian troops in, in Ukraine yeah. as, as they went and seized territory that just didn't wear their flag on their uniform. I mean, it was almost laughable um, how much he, he spit in the face of the international community during that as well. And, and yes, the S-300 is a defensive weapon system. It's a surface-to-air missile that's meant to shoot down aircraft. But the reason why this concerns the international community is 
if Iran does not follow along with the restrictions on their nuclear program and they continue to develop a nuclear weapon system, what that can be used for is to shoot down any planes that go to bomb that facility that's building the weapon. And so that's why it's important. They're building a defense system so that they could safeguard their nuclear capabilities as they continue to enrich uranium, which is a problem. And of course, they're not going to say that it's what it's for. Vladimir Putin already came out and said it was a defensive weapon, but that's why it concerns Israel, because Israel feels that if they develop a nuclear weapon, they're probably going to be the most likely recipient of that nuclear weapon. And remember, in episode three, we talked about this. There is a mutual feeling amongst other neutral or nuclear countries where it's a mutual fear for annihilation. And that's what happens yeah. when you start playing with nuclear weapons. In Iran, a Shia culture and, and the, the, the portions of the Quran they believe in in their religion, many of those uh, hardliners in that country believe in an absolute utopia. They don't fear death and annihilation the same way we do. It's very different for them. And uh, so th there is some cause to concern there. And it's not just Israel. You know, Iran has tried to influence a lot of the Middle East and, and not in a positive way. You know, I mean, look what they I mean, they have backed the Houthis in Yemen, which Yemen is an absolute mess right now. Yeah, a mess. They've they've used influence there for a long time. The same thing with Hezbollah in, in, in Libya, who's been a terrorist organization that that's had launched attacks against us in the U.S. and Israel and in other uh, Western uh, democracies as well. And so th there's a lot of plays here and people don't understand how the international chess game is played and where, you know. Unfortunately, there are really, really bad people that don't believe in the same things that our country and, and our allies believe in, which is freedom, which is equality. Do we have our problems in corruption? We absolutely do. But when you, when you compare it to, to those countries and their beliefs and the beliefs they're trying to spread, it, it is massively different. And so uh, it, it does necessitate us having the ability to influence and, and work together with our allies to make sure that those belief systems don't spread. And we need to hope that this younger generation of Iranians, when their current supreme leader steps down, they come in and they're just sick and tired of being looked at as extremists in the international community. There are great people that live in Iran that want to have freedom. They want to yeah. be able to use the internet and social media and be allowed to protest and, and not, not be beaten. They want to, there's women there that would like to drive one day. And have a say. I mean, women's rights in that part of the school. country. Oh, and again, you know, it, it goes both sides, right? Saudi Arabia is a big ally of ours. And, and look, they're, they're, they have tons of things they need to correct on, specifically in women's rights, where they can get arrested just for driving, which is just ridiculous to me as a father of three daughters. And, and the fact that it's 2015 and we still have things like that happening, it's sad. Yeah, it's, it's I don't know, It's it scares me. And it's also... One thing I think about often is <clears throat> the fact that these pe the this this country Iran is is spewing these these anti-Israel and don't don't get me wrong I am not pro-Israel at all I'm not anti-Israel I'm like I've always said I am pro-people um, I don't necessarily like the way Israel treats the Palestinians um, but that's that's another story for another day. But the thing is, the people of Iran, my, my, my thing is, do we ever really hear from them, like the real people? I have, I have friends from Iran 
that and they're just like I I I never want to go back there. That it's it's <laughs> it's I I I've spoken to people from Iran that have said that, and that's crazy to me because coming here from the Bahamas, like any time there's an opportunity for me to go home, I am all about it. It's it's the, it's one of the most fun things in the world for me because I get to go back to a place and eat the foods <laughs> that remind me of being a yeah. child. You know, you can't compare going home to Iran versus going home to the Bahamas. All well, right. The Bahamas is well, a place we pay thousands to go for a vacation and you're going to compare it to a desert. I'm just kidding. Well, it's, it was it's a funny yeah, comparison. It, it, it is. It, I, I completely I, I guess that <laughs> there, there comes there. There the, 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 there are the worlds colliding in that for you. It's yeah, it is a paradise. And, and for me, it's a paradise also, but for a different reason, you know, um, that you would be surprised at how many people in the Bahamas can't swim. You know, how many people in the Bahamas don't go to the beach? It's. It's not that it's not when when you have it all the time, it's not, you know, you take it for granted. Like yeah. you, you probably when was the last time you thought about throwing a punch? But you know how to do it. Yep. <laughs> you know, well, it's like for them. I mean, they get island fever, too. I mean, you get uh, you I, I when I went when I vacationed in Hawaii, I was on Oahu and I had, a, you know, a lot of people were telling me they man, they would love to Want get off get the off island and go rock. somewhere else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, yep. I, I've heard it and I've said it myself. But um, the fact that being away from it for an extended amount of time you want to go back and you want to see it i have friends that have been here for 15 20 years and they're just like i don't want to go back i just don't um so i would love to i mean and 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 because of what it is it's a place that you grew up it's a place that you had all of your childhood experiences at um for for people to have those things and not want to go back there there has that tells me there's something wrong with the system oh. that is there because those are just memories. Uh, those yeah. are the things that you remember and you love. Oh, it's such a different. It's such a different belief system and and um, just the the fundamental way that we live in in either country. I mean, we did hear from the Iranian people during the Arab Spring several years ago. Yes, and uh, and and they were basically shut down by their own government. You know, yeah. and and they were censored. They were beaten. They they were attacked and. Look, we like I've always said, we've got plenty of things we need to fix in our own country, and and it's certainly not our job to go fix everybody else. But what we can't have is is have them meddling in international affairs and spreading their influence to take over large sectors. Because people have said this, and and it's true. There there are a lot of pieces that are in place internationally to where you could see a possible breakout of a world war. The 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 ideals of of these separate countries and allies are so polarized. You know, when you look at uh, the Western world and how we live and what we believe and what we value, and then you look at the Eastern world and what they believe and what they value, you know, when you look at the, the North Koreas, the Irans, the, the Russias, uh, the Syrias, I mean, it, it is, it's really, it, it, there's a stark contrast in how they want to live. You know, and then you throw into the mix. I mean, you have all those, then you throw into the mix, you got this ISIS group, running all over the place, I mean, causing all the chaos they are and spreading like wildfire. You know, we as a country, we need we need to come up and develop some policies and not when a damn crisis hits because right now our country, we currently lead by crisis. We only do something when a crisis happens and we have to. Everything else, we kick the can down. So we've got an immigration problem. We know we need reform. Ah, who cares? Kick it down the road. We're not going to get anything done. We're too polarized. We got a 
a ridiculous tax yeah. system that needs a complete overhaul, eh, kick that down the can. Um, but we'll just deal with things when we absolutely have to by crisis. It's very similar with our foreign policies. I mean, I, I fought in a war in Iraq where I was never given a clear end state. This is what means success and this is when it's over. How do you send men and women to go die and, and try to nation build? And, and first off, it was a war that we were not trained for. We had to completely develop our operating procedures um, while we were over there. And then yeah. there was no end state. So, I mean, we've got to have, hey, this is what it takes for us to get involved, troops on the ground. We've got to set these things. We've got to let the American people know what they are. And we've got to get their feel on it as well. Hey, this is what's going to cause us to get involved and put boots on the ground and get involved in something. And, and people have an understanding of that. And this is going to be the end state. This is what this is what is success and defines success and means that we can come back from it as well. And then we've also got to decide what we can tolerate with our belief system. You know, can, can we tolerate a Boko Haram? Can we tolerate an ISIS and, and what they're doing and, and the measure of influence that they're being allowed to have? Because simply arming other militia, militia groups to do certain things has failed us in the past. It's failed I mean, over and over again. Yeah. Osama bin Laden used to be on our side, right? So you know, is Saddam Hussein and oh, man. I yeah. mean, so we, we need some considerable thought. We need to, I mean, look, history is a great teacher. And, and we, don't, we don't study it enough. I mean, how many times people have tried to handpick a leader in Afghanistan, go in there, have influence, and leave that handpicked leader behind? I mean, is insane. You, you want to know why they're asking for us to leave troops in Afghanistan? That's why, because they knew the minute we leave, they're going to take they're going to take him out in the streets, just like they did when Great Britain left someone there in charge as well. I mean, three times in history, people have gone in Afghanistan and tried a regime change and they want in place. And all three times it didn't work. So we've got to start studying history as a means of developing our for our foreign policy. Um, and it's got to be communicated to the American people so that they can understand, hey, this is what it takes for America to get involved in a conflict and put boots on the ground. Um, because right now, people know that we're weary of doing so and we don't want to do it, and they'll take advantage of it. ISIS knows that, you know, our president has said several times, we're not putting boots on the ground against ISIS. We're not putting boots on the ground against ISIS. Well, great. Now, now we become predictable, and, and they can operate around that. Um, Boko Haram knows that we've got no interests in Nigeria. There's no money to be made there, so chances of us getting involved there are slim to none. So they can mock us, support ISIS, and continue to capture women all across that region and across countries. But I'll tell you right now, if I went to if I went to my old infantry battalion at 3rd Battalion, 2nd Marines, and I showed them videos of what Boko Haram's doing to those young girls in that country and said, hey guys, you guys all signed up to fight for people who, who can't fight for themselves. Would you be willing to die for these people and go over there and possibly defend them? And I'm not saying we should, but I'm just telling you the mentality of the warriors of this country. Those men and women in those infantry battalions and supporting units would look at me and said, yeah, I've got no problem going and fighting those guys. They deserve to die. Yeah, I, 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 I completely understand that. I, I believe that especially especially infantrymen, um, they're, they're like they're – like, I draw a lot of parallels. And I would say infantrymen are like fighters. They don't do it because it's a way to make money. They do it because it's something that mean that matters to them. It means something. And uh, the infantrymen, unfortunately, they're told where to go. But the thing is, it, it's it's I, – I definitely believe that those guys are the guys that's like – there's something wrong here. These people are not being treated correctly or they're not being treated like people. 
Let's go. And, and they're being killed. We, we need to protect them. Let's go protect them. I see that for sure. But the powers that be are like, well, there's no money in it for us. So we're not going to send you there. And that's that's got to hurt. That's got to be hard to swallow, man. It is. And, you know, and again, I'm not advocating for us to get involved and be the world's police force. It's right. I'm, right. I'm advocating for consistency of policy. Yes. Is what I'm advocating for. I want to know what what are the what are the standards that cause us to get involved in a conflict. And based on those standards, what is our desired end state? And that should be communicated to those men and women who volunteered to risk their lives for this country and to the people who vote and pay taxes that pay all of their salaries. And, and that consistency needs to be there because when you see an ally who has some kind of resource we need or, or trade agreements, then you're going to see men and women put their lives on the line. But when you see something like Boko Haram, which is absolutely evil, which is very similar ideals to that of ISIS and Al-Qaeda, we do not want spread, um, but it's in a part of the world that most people just don't care about. Right. That's where a problem, you know, it, there's inconsistency. And again, we don't have to go commit troops on the ground to have influence there. There are ways we could utilize our allies, whether it's funding or arms. And I mean, there, there are definitely armies and militias that are getting involved in Nigeria. But, but these, these are people that need to go away. I mean, how long can we tolerate ideas like this existing on our planet in 2015 where you have in, in multiple different areas of the world little girls that can't go to school without being kidnapped, murdered, sold into slavery, acid thrown on their face. This type of stuff infuriates me. For trying to and, learn how to read, that bothers me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, people want to, they want to keep them down, right? Men these come from cultures that are old school and the men just want to be in charge. They're afraid of an educated woman, um, which is beyond me because uh, in, in many cases in America, we, we have plenty of women. Certainly, sir, I, I employ plenty of women who are brilliant. My wife I employ is them because they're smarter than me in their respective yeah. area and I live with them every day. Yeah, that's why I married my wife because she's smarter than me and I need someone to take care of me because I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I haven't won an argument in seven years. I have, I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, 18-month-old. They're all women and, and I just I lose every argument. This is now. Uh, my wife is a world champion of our house. She has a belt and everything. It was, it's so funny. She's got her own belt. <laughs> Does it have a picture of your face on it? <laughs> yeah, it'd be like subjugated. I'm just like. Exactly, right? <laughs> you, <laughs> you Eve, Eve with the Osh face on her belt. That's perfect. No. My, my wife just got a t-shirt. It's a, it's a Teresa thing. You wouldn't understand. And she just holds it up when I try and argue with her on her train of thought. And, uh, and I, I know automatically that I lost the argument. Yeah, I'm feeling that. And and but something you said um kind of made me think about something else that's going on like on a on a smaller level. Like you said, um or like we were saying, there's no there's no capital there. There's no there's no there's no financial gain for for us to get into this to this conflict and, and, and not necessarily this particular one, but there are conflicts that we don't get into uh as a country, the um the US because of the fact that there's no really financial incentive for us to do it. Um, when when you think about that concept and then you bring that back, I, I'm going to transition into something. And I was getting upset with the whole Middle Eastern part of our conversation, but this is going to upset me also. I uh, remember we were talking on the phone the other day about about the Oklahoma uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma uh, incident where another he was black again. Another black man was shot by police. 
Um, but he was shot by a 73-year-old volunteer police officer, supposedly by accident, and we will give him that by accident. But uh, it was it was it was a ridiculous case. I started to tell you about it. You hadn't heard about it at the time, and then you went and you gave me some new information about that. And exp- I'll, I'll start it off, but I want you to come and explain the money about the 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 the, the financial details of this situation. But what happened was this guy is he has a prior arrest record. He's been to prison. Um, he was caught in a sting trying to sell illegal firearms. He jumped out of the police car. They had him on video. He jumped out, ran off. Uh, there was a big, a big chase, not a gigantic chase, but a good sized chase. They caught up to him, had him on the ground. Um, was trying to get him to roll over. He rolled over, and one of the volunteers shot him. And I don't know where he shot him, but he shot him. Ultimately, the guy died, but he's laying on the ground. The volunteer that shot him is a 73-year-old man who was a, Tulsa, was a police officer in the state of Oklahoma somewhere for like a year, years ago, a long time ago. Um, and this guy, this guy is now dead. So you can search a Tulsa police shooting and find a recent article about it. But the thing, the thing that I wanted to get into, the thing that 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 kind of crosses over from our talk about the Middle East is the financial incentive that was going on in in this scenario. And Brian, you were you were you were turning me on to that today because I missed those parts of the, of the story. Yeah, I mean this this is wild, man. Uh you know, we we've had we've had several incidents this year which have just infused further racial tension in the country. And the only positive out of it is it's at least brought attention to a problem that was already there. But, I mean, this one is mind-boggling. It's baffling to me. So this guy, Robert Bates, is a millionaire insurance executive who donates a ton of money to the Tulsa Police Department. And now it's being said that they were falsifying his training records and his certifications. You know, he would have been required to have 480 hours of training um, you know, and his firearms, his certifications, all this stuff, his certifications. And I guess it was all falsified. They're saying, they're saying that three supervisors were transferred after refusing to sign off on his state required training. You know, n- now that alone, all right. So that alone, you get this guy who donates a bunch of money. So let's make him a reserve officer on our team. All right. That's, that's problem. Number one, problem. Number two, the man is 73 years old. At 73 years old, how qualified are you to be out there doing legitimate police work? The, the, the normal use of reserve officers is to be out there in the community. They're used for crowd control during large events, things of that nature. In some states, they can carry weapons, um, and, and many of them actually. And then many of the states, they do have the right to arrest people despite having nearly half and sometimes less than half the training of a regular police officer. Now, the third, and here's my, my biggest problem with this whole thing. This guy is 73 years old. Most, with, with, there, there's a probability with falsified training records. What the hell is he doing involved in a sting operation? That's not crowd control. What is this man doing in dangerous police work where there's an over, undercover agent that is trying to buy drugs and firearms off this uh, previously convicted felon, and this man is involved? And so when this guy runs away, you got this 73-year-old who thinks he thought he had a taser in his hand. That's the excuse he's using. Yeah. He thought he had a taser. He pulls the trigger and shoots him. And when you watch the video, he actually says, I shot him. I shot him. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So 
I, I don't believe that he meant to shoot him and kill him. But I mean, these are the kinds of stupid things that are going to occur when you allow this many dumb things to take place in, in, a, in a major operation of police work. This is dangerous business. I mean, when I was in the military, we didn't go into, we didn't go on the base in Iraq and grab an admin guy from the Marine Corps and say, hey, today you're going to patrol with an M16 that you haven't fired in three months. Come on out, buddy. Enjoy. I mean, that's going to lead to mistakes. That's going to lead to people dying. So regardless of this man, uh, Eric Harris's arrest record, he should not have been shot and killed. And again, this is a problem that is totally avoidable. But you have this guy who donates a whole bunch of money. So by all means, let's bring him out on a sting operation because he's been such a good friend to the department. Yeah, he 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 basically, I forget the 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 book. Um, it's an old book, but he basically and 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 I guess it's not a hunt, but he basically just paid money to to be able to kill a human being. Um, that it's 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 that's a bit extreme, but <laughs> it's a bit extreme. But <laughs> well, but I mean, I don't like he, like I don't necessarily. I'm not saying he had that in, that intention, but but the fact that. From what transpired, that's that's you know that's one way it can be interpreted. Um, he is the, the the story that they said also about his. Um, what's really surprising to me, or what's really bothering me, is because his certifications and these things were falsified. Is because when this story came out, this is what they were saying. Uh, they were talking about well, he's a former police officer. He's uh. He's he's just a volunteer, and he wasn't he the the position that he was supposed to be in. He's he's he was like third string backup basically. He was way back there. He wasn't supposed to have much interaction. He was just supposed to be on the scene, kind of to control the situation uh, on, on the on the out on the outer edges of it. And um, the fact that he's he's. And that they're claiming that he had all these, uh, that he was, he, they said that he was up to date with his certifications, not necessarily that exact phrase, but they said that he had police training, he's done all the training that he needed to be, he, he, was, he, was, he was physically capable and mentally prepared to be in that situation, and this is a mistake. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's obviously they're lying. That they're they're firing people. They're sending they're sending people out of that department into uh, necessarily not necessarily firing them. I don't know if you said they fired or they're removing people for not signing off on on his certifications. Um, this it's you are putting you you are sworn in to protect and serve to protect and serve. There are protocols for that. You have to go through these trainings. You have to put in these hours of practice in these departments in these specific instances and these things are falsified just so that someone that gives you money can be on the job and you are giving this person a firearm there i'm sorry but there the firearm is the most most that's the most powerful physical thing that that, that a single individual can have whether it be a rifle or a pistol or whatever but you can take a five-year-old versus Cain Velasquez with a pistol, and the five-year-old is going to win. So it's 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 one of those things where it's like that is a very dangerous situation to put someone someone in that is not prepared for that situation, and you are putting someone's life on the line. You're putting someone's life at risk, and the worst thing that could have possibly happened happened. So. This is something that needs to be fixed. It doesn't need to be addressed. It needs to be fixed instantly all across the country because this, 
when this this country is a huge place, and when one thing like this happens, it's not it, it's it's virtually impossible for that to be the only place that this is going on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, this needs to be a wake up call, you know, for for other for other departments that have reserve officers to reevaluate one their training, how they're utilized, um, if they have people that donate money to them. Um, and what, I mean, there's no reason, I don't care if he was a seven, 73 year old guy who had all of his certifications up to date, <laughs> yeah. he doesn't need to be on a sting operation. Absolutely. No, because look, he ended up shooting a guy wrongly, but when you discharge a weapon, people don't understand, like in the movies, they see bullets fire out of a gun and nothing ever happens. These rounds travel very, very far distances and they eventually run into something. It could be a kid, it could be a car, it could be a house, it could be a lot of different things, and you are putting that weapon in his hands. I mean, the guy didn't know the difference between having a pistol in his hand or a taser is what he's trying to say. Who knows if that's true? Um, But it's frustrating. It's really frustrating because, again, like I said in our last episode, you know, incidents like this, it's, it's, you know, you, you can combine it for 10 to 15 incidents that are just atrocious, that are horrible, and they're giving thousands and thousands of police officers a bad name and a stigma across the country. And, and you know, it happens in the military, too. You know, it happened when, when, when we had a soldier who jumped the fence on a base in Afghanistan, and he went out and he slaughtered, I think it was 12 or 13 innocent Afghanis. It was awful. It was wrong. The whole country thought, oh, we've got this entire generation of of mentally disabled uh, service members out there, they're all going crazy, and they're just a bunch of violent murderers. So I know I know what it's like to be someone who's painted with a broad brush. But God, we have got to be smarter than that. People who want to be law enforcement officers, they know they want to be. They want to do that. It's not for the money. They don't get paid a ton of money. They want to do it because of the respect that's commanded, the opportunity to be larger, uh, be a part of something larger than themselves. To, to go out there, serve and protect. And they've got to take that seriously. And, and when they see something like this, especially, scratch your head, speak up. I mean, this was an awful decision that, that cost a life. And, and hopefully other police departments across the country are going to look at this and immediately look internally to see what they can correct and what they can prevent. Yeah, I, I, I think when, when you look at this situation and, and you see all the mistakes that were made, there's another mistake that could have been made. Uh, he could have accidentally shot, shot a, 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 a police officer, you know, and, and that, would, that, would change, that would change the dynamic of this instantly because at that point he, he didn't accidentally kill a criminal or, or someone that was committing a crime. He accidentally shot a police officer and then you wouldn't get the pushback that you're getting now. There's a situation would be completely different. Uh, there would be things changed right away, but there's 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 the thing that there's a human life involved. So the fact that he even even though he was a criminal, that that doesn't put any less value on human life. No, it does it does not matter. This this is America. There's a due process. Um, people get arrested. I mean, it's it, this this it's not like um, he murdered a guy who was a murderer. Right. right. I mean, this 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 is different and it doesn't matter what that human being's arrest sheet was, what their background was. That doesn't take away from how wrong this is and how messed up the process was. And, and look, you know, this guy, Robert Bates, he's 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 getting charged with manslaughter now. And I mean, his he's a millionaire whose name is getting dragged through the mud. And 
There's a lot of things, but here's the other problem. He's not the only one at fault. No, I sincerely doubt Robert Bates said, I want to be part of this operation because I want to go kill somebody. Um, he may very well have made a mistake that is destroying him from the inside out right now. Yeah. But because of stupidity and leadership of that police department, he should have never have been there. He should have never been in that situation. That's not to take any blame off him personally, but this blame is shared. These leaders put him in that place to make this mistake with some very poor common sense decisions that, that, that people could be making every single day. Yeah, it's, it's, it's this, 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 I'm sorry, but when you said that and, and, and you pointed out the fact that, yeah, there, there's more than one individual who's, uh, who, who the finger should be pointed at, who made mistakes or who did things wrong. I completely agree with that. And I, I feel like a lot of these other situations should be the same. I mean, look at, look at this, this particular situation when, when the gunshot was fired, right? And after he said, I shot him, I apologize, um, the, the cop that was screaming at him, uh, give me your effing hand, you effing ran, He's, I, you sh- I, he shot me, you effing ran, you shouldn't have ran, I- I'm losing my breath, F your breath. What, I mean, it's like, the guy, the guy is shot, He's, he, he ultimately died, yeah, you don't know, and I understand that's a high, high intense, high adrenaline situation, but... Um, when a guy when a guy that's been shot is complaining that he can't breathe, um, there there should uh, there should be more humanity in even a police officer than f your breath. Absolutely, there should be. I mean, look, yeah, and this opens the door to a whole list of other problems. But if that is your initial response to someone who is wrongly shot that you are trying to arrest and is now on the ground, if your initial reaction is to handcuff that man. And to yell those things to him, it, it makes me wonder, you know, what did you think about this person before, before this incident even happened? I mean, you were predetermining scumbag and everything else in there, which have got to be controlled by a police officer. And it goes right back to the argument that people are talking about where these police departments are racist and that there is a disproportionate amount of arrests. There's a disproportionality in uh, in the sentences that are giving in jail yeah. time by race. And there's actually a lot of data to prove that. And I guarantee there's people that are listening to this podcast right now that are saying, well, you guys shut up. You're spending so much time arguing over a guy. Look, he was a scumbag drug dealer who was also selling illegal weapons. Who cares? It's a good thing he got shot. Look, that is not the case. You've got to open up your eyes to if that attitude took precedence and was consistent across this country, how much wrongful arrest. There is a due process and, and this is how we decided to run this country as a democracy. And that person absolutely has rights. And every person is going to be put into a situation where they depend on their rights in different scenarios. It may not be one exactly like this, but imagine a country where we no longer have due process and rights like that man did. Then we're no different than the people that we fight against overseas. And so I can't stand that kind of obtuse look into this. And, and we don't know. Um, what kind of background Eric Harris had, no. what kind of upbringing he had. And that's not to excuse any of his actions, but let's face it. There are people that are born in this country with far greater opportunity and, and mentors in their life than others. Some kids are born on first or second base. Other kids aren't even born in the ballpark. 
Yeah, and 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 as far as his his criminal history, I mean, I know that he's he's he has six arrests on his record, but we don't know what those six arrests were for. I mean, yeah, he was selling illegal weapons in this in this situation, but he probably was selling narcotics. I mean, uh, and and a lot of times, narcotics, marijuana will fall in, in into that category, and that's very possible. Um, in the in this scenario, and if that's the case, I mean, we're talking about a, a nonviolent crime, but because it's a crime, and we're not, and and be, just simply because it's a crime, he's a criminal. He's let's let's trot that out there and make him less than a person, and and that's that's just wrong. Yeah, um, it has nothing to do with that fact. I don't care what he was arrested for, what he was about to be arrested for. There, there's a reason why we have a court system. He would yeah. get arrested. He has the right to an attorney, and then he's going to have his day in court, and then he's going to go back to jail. Whether you said arrested this many times, he's going to go back to jail again. And if he's got a rap sheet like that, most likely he's going back for life, which is unfortunate for him, but it's the right thing to do if that's what um, happens in in our judicial our judicial system. And that is what our system is. It does not mean that just because this person is considered a criminal or he has a less than reputable reputation. Um, ah, he deserved to be killed. Let's, let's let Robert Bates off and uh, let's not worry too much about the Tulsa police department. No, absolutely. That is not correct. And, and the systems were put in place for a reason. It's what makes this country special. It's what makes us different than the people we fight against. And, and, and we, we often fight those enemies overseas for those rights and our beliefs, and we have to fight internally as well and correct these problems inside as well. Agreed, man. You're and getting um, me all fired up. You're getting me all fired up. <laughs> I, I'm glad I'm over here because I don't want to get Brian too fired up and, and, and be around for him to slap me on the shoulder and back of the head and that stuff. Um, it's, it's just one of those things where, you know, it, it's tough because in the industries I've been in, you know, when I was a, a Marine Corps officer, we were held to such scrutiny and such a standard where we were constantly investigating each other and, and our own Marines. And, and, and I, you know, I saw, I saw kids that went to war for their country then, you know, other than honorably discharged for, for narcotics use when, when, when in some cases I think they, they were, they were using it to try and overcome things that, that, that happened to them in combat. And, and then you go out and you come back to the world and you see the standard you were held to yet your own leadership in Washington and even at the state level, isn't held to those standards. I mean, in some cases, these are these are bigger criminal criminals than 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 we have running the streets that we've put in jail for nonviolent crimes. Yeah. And it just it makes me sick sometimes, you know. And and it's 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 fitting that this happens. And we're talking about this the day after tax day because on April fifteenth, when I have to stroke a big check to the government, and I wonder which part of the circus I'm gonna I'm gonna fund. It uh, it just it frustrates the it, it frustrates the heck out of me. Yeah, and, and, and one of the things that frustrates me about this whole thing, especially about the police state, is uh, this thin blue line. You know, uh, we saw it We saw it in the South Carolina shooting with um, Officer, what is his name, Slayton, Slater, um, shooting, shooting the suspect in the back when he was running away after being pulled over for a broken taillight and running away because he's, he's late on his child support or something. Um, the cop... The second cop that came, the second cop who was black, who was there, who watched him throw the taser to the ground, he covered for him. You know, it's it's this there's 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 something wrong with the system. If if multiple if 
there's not it's not one guy making a mistake in that scenario. Same thing here in Oklahoma. It's not one guy making a mistake. In all of these situations, it's never just one guy. It's always a group of guys, and, and then you, you then it's trotted out that one person makes made a mistake. One person made a mistake. No, the, there's a group of people. There's a group of people that made a mistake. Whether yeah. in, in the scenario with with the with the planting of the taser as evidence, shooting a guy in the back eight times when he's running away from you, um, they both had to write a report. And if their report if their reports lined up. And we see the video, and the video does not line up with those reports. They're both lying. That's two guys that made a mistake, and they probably didn't come up with that on their own. It's very possible, but if if that's the culture of the department, if that's the culture of the of the industry of policing in this country, then there needs to be something done about it. They yeah, need to not know, and- necessarily police themselves. Police should not. That's another. That's another thing. There's there's no way that it's like. There's there's a meme that I've seen online, and it's a picture of the cops, and it goes, yeah, we investigated ourselves, and we cleared ourselves of any wrongdoing. Police should not be in charge of investigating themselves, when, when and especially when people's lives are on the line, and people's lives, are, or people are losing their lives over things. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's tough. It's tough when you see these things, and, and you know, People understand that you're going to make mistakes, and and cops, they have a dangerous game to play, man. It, it is not an easy job. It is difficult. Every single day, there's an opportunity for a police officer to make a mistake that that could be career threatening, life threatening, um, corruption threat. I mean, lots of stuff goes on, and and if you look at it on the aggregate, all the things cops do every single day, again. It's an out, you know, they, they, I I do not believe that's a national culture. I mean, there are so many great police officers out there that take true pride in what they do and they have integrity in how they serve. However, we're starting to expose some holes and some gaps in that system that need to be reset and and it's bad. And the thing that I think that they need to understand is that, look, people are going to make mistakes in this. Yes. They're going to make mistakes sometimes, but you have to own them. And, and, you know, it happens in police work, happens in war, it happens in biz, happens anywhere. Happens in everyday life. Everything. But there's nothing wrong. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with shooting someone in the leg. I mean, I, it's so often where people want to shoot to kill. Um, You know, in that scenario, when you watch the video and the dude's running away, dude, did you really have to shoot that guy in the back? You know, were you that lazy that you couldn't run and catch him? Did he have that big of a head start? You know, and if, if you were that concerned, then you should have been in better shape. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of incidences there where, man, that that decision to, to pull the trigger or not is a massive, massive decision. And and anybody who's in that scenario has to really, really think about that. Um, and, and you've got to rehearse those scenarios in your mind so that it's, it's not so abrupt when it happens, just like we as fighters used to. I mean, how many times did you fight your opponent in your head? While you're yeah. driving your car, while you're walking around the house, while you're listening to music and going for your run, you did it over and over again. Every day until it happened. <laughs> yep. You know, and, and it's it's tough, man. Um, you know, I I, I I love the local police officers that I have. I think they, they do a great job, but it's it's also a difficult one. And, you know, look, that's the deal. When you want to be a part of something that's that's going to get you a lot of respect and you're going to have a whole lot of power – then at the same time, you're going to be held to a whole different standard. Yeah. It's like politicians who complain about 
all the people that make fun of him in the newspaper and getting bad reviews and, you know, social media. Like, look, dude, you signed up for this. Same thing with us analysts. I signed up for it. When I go on Fox this weekend, I'm going to get comments from, I think your tie looks ridiculous who dressed you, to I think your points you made on Machida or whomever are, are stupid, or you suck, get off air, we want Joe Rogan. Or, um, for, or what you said in hour number three after talking for three and a half hours was wrong. This, oh, one, yeah. this one sentence, you, you mispronounced this word. Hey, I signed up for the job, and that's their absolute right. I will listen to them, and I also have the absolute right to to block them on Twitter so I don't have to listen to it again. Yes, <laughs> the, 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 and, and going back to, to the cops thing, like I, I completely agree, and I understand every point that you just made. And, and the thing about it is is with that higher standard that, that you're held to, you, sh- you have to be accountable. You know, yeah. And when you do something wrong, yes, there, there's, there's hundreds of thousands, there's probably millions of cops across the country, and and a big portion of those guys are good guys. Um, I couldn't tell you a percentage, probably more than fifty. But just like with the kids in school, and kid, two kids in school get into a fight, and you see that video on YouTube, that doesn't represent the whole school. That just represents those kids. Yeah. But the thing is. You have to be held accountable because if 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 you can if you can do these things if you can kill people and get away with it and you're not held accountable then you're not really upholding the laws that you're sworn to serve. No, no. If you're if you're man or woman enough to pull the trigger, then you better damn sure be man or woman enough to to face the repercussions. And if you did something wrong, own it. You know, show your remorse for it. Don't try and cover it up. Um, And I think you know I think more of the problem. In these terms, I think people are upset about certain communities that are very low income. They don't have near the voice are taken advantage of at times. I think they feel like they're taken advantage of by their local police force and they're not treated the same way that they would be in a more affluent neighborhood um, where people command more respect and people have more power. I think they feel a little bit more powerless, especially when you have a police force that doesn't even live in the local area. Yeah. Yeah, that's got to be hard. Um, it's, it's one of those things and <laughs> I, you know what, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for a good story about the cops so that one of these days we can end on something that makes me smile. Ah, that doesn't make news though, man. I guarantee, I'll guarantee you it happens every single day. Yeah. But nobody's going to put that on the news, you know, yeah, or, no. or a cop, cop saves a kid or a cop does something goes above and beyond. It's, it happens every day and I guarantee it happens thousands of times a day. But you don't hear about it. It's the same thing I said when, when, um, when I was in Iraq and, and we reopened two schools and these kids could go to school. We gave them all these school supplies and the teachers went back to teaching and um, it was great. You know, these kids felt normal again for once. That doesn't make the news. You know, CNN doesn't send a truck to go film any of that. They don't want to see any of that. It, it's only when something, something bad happens, you know, and it just goes back to humanity. It's, it's not just America. You know, we, we love dirt and, and we're such competitive. We're such a competitive breed of people. We love to see somebody else fall, don't we? I mean, that's, man, the news, if, if so-and-so goes bankrupt, so-and-so was corrupt. Or, I mean, people love to see somebody else screw up. And it's sad. 
It, it's it's really it's really sad, and we're all we all feel that way sometimes. We all feel it, and you want to fight against it. Like, wait a minute, why why am I wanting this person to lose? You know, it's the same reason people hate Duke or they hate the Patriots or they hate you know they don't like these teams that that win consistently and things like that. I mean, there's obviously other reasons, but we just we have some really weird instincts as human beings, and we try to pretend. Um, like we're, we're this special, you know, especially, you know, religion makes us feel like we're this special species on this planet when in truth, I mean, we're extremely violent. And again, this all leads into maybe episode five, um, cause we could go for five hours on that alone. Yeah, for sure. And we we'll, maybe we start there next time, but, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's that, that's, that's what that I, it, here's the thing. These worlds, like we said, these worlds collide, and it's crazy that that you and I, from two different two different backgrounds, two different even through our adult life, but it's like we found something that that basically brought us together, and and it brings all of us together. I mean, there are very few fight. I I can only think of one person as a fighter that I don't like, but I still respect him. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and. And that's it. And I know everybody when it comes to fighting. I I know virtually everybody. But um that's just how it is, man. It's it's one of those things where, you know, if you just learn to live and let live and not be upset with somebody else for something that doesn't affect you, you know, then you can start focusing on the things that do affect you or that can affect you, like the things we're trying to talk about. We 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 talk about these things because they matter in the real world. And so I mean, you, I would lo- I would love to hear from you guys about things that you you would like to hear our opinions on, things that you would like to see us touch on or hear us touch on. And and man, we we just we just that I think that's what it is. We're being a hundred percent honest, a hundred percent real, a hundred percent at a time. So if there's things you guys want to know, let us know. Yeah, pull them out. We'll definitely we'll kick off the next show, um, you know, with some fan questions via Twitter, and uh, we appreciate everybody listening. Um, we hope that within the next 24 hours, we are up on iTunes. We got our producer checking it. They've got a, a process over there that, that is a bit tedious, but we're, thanks for hanging in with us. And, uh, we will definitely let you guys know, and, and we'll be seeing you on the next episode. Thank you very much. And the worlds have just collided. <laughs>